Loi, you're back from Israel. Yes, I'm back from the land of the Jews. <laughs> How long were you there? I was there for 11 days. 11 very revelatory days, actually. What, was it mostly, what, Tel Aviv and Jerusalem? Or did you wonder? You were near Gaza as well, right? Yes. So the first five days we were in Jerusalem, but we it was a part of this delegation that wants to inform and introduce people to what's going on politically and socially. So the first five days were in Jerusalem. And we went around, we traveled to Tel Aviv, we traveled to Gaza, not inside Gaza, but the borders. And then after that, after the five days, I told the delegation, uh, well, actually, before going to Israel, I told them, I'm not staying for five days, I need to stay for at least 10 days. So um, so I told them I'm going to be staying, the first five days, I'll be a part of the delegation, and the last five days, I will be wandering around. So I got an Airbnb in Tel Aviv for the last five days. Uh, the first five days were, you know, five uh, supported or financed by Sharaka. They, they like put us all, we're like a bunch of journalists and influencers who were put like in a hotel and were driven. Um, they drove us around everywhere pretty much. And my life will never be the same. Like I've asked every critical question that I've ever encountered. I've asked questions about the settlements. I've asked questions about, um, the policies of asked questions about uh, mostly the settlements, which were the ones that were most interesting to me. But um, every single critical question that I've ever had about Israel, I've asked and I've gotten many of many answers. I'm still like confused about certain stuff, but my, my percept my perception of Israel has changed tremendously. You know, so especially in what way? So I, I actually, okay, this is the first thing I was expecting. They, they were telling me like even, um, uh, Jews were telling me when I wrote, like, I'm going to go to, uh, uh, Israel. I got a lot of messages saying, Oh, be careful at the airport that, that the airport is going to be the toughest part because they're going to stop you and question you and you're going to have a hard time at the airport, but it's okay. It's mandatory. Even Jews go through the same process. And I kid you not, I go there and. Um, they stopped me. They're like, okay, you have to wait in uh, by, by these chairs so that you will have a bit of an investigation. So I go and I sit down and I was like, okay, I'm going to be at the airport for two, three hours. And be, besides being there for two, three hours, it's going to be like aggressive, three aggressive IDF soldiers where they're like rifles questioning me. What are you doing here? Prove what, what are you, like show us your social media. I was even told that they might even go through my WhatsApp messages. And I was like, this is going to be a nightmare. So I was sitting there and suddenly this cutest little uh, loveliest lady, she's like maybe 22 years old. She comes up to me. She's like, hi, are you Lu'ai? And I just looked at her like, yes, I'm Lu'ai. She's like, okay, can I, it's just going to be very quick. I'm just going to ask you mandatory questions. Don't worry. This is nothing. And I'm like, what the fuck? So she sat down with me and she was so like vibrant and positive. And she's like, we're just going to ask questions and I'm going to write down. And, and then she started asking me and, and you're like, where are the Israelis? I'm like, where's the IDF? Where's your weapon? Why aren't you like, I, I thought I was going to be like in this trapped in this tiny cube with like soldiers asking me questions because everybody said that the, the, the airport experience was going to be the toughest experience. And mind you, I am Yemeni. Like in my passport, it says born in Sana'a, Yemen. And Yemen is like bombing Israel. So I was going there expecting the most excruciating and like daunting experience at the airport. And we vibed, this girl and I. And after a while, I took up my, I, I, I brought up my phone and she saw that I had Taylor Swift on my wall, wallpaper. And sure, she turned out to be a Swifty as well. <laughs> I had so, a different experience when I was there. Yeah. And I was there for, for like work, like I was when I worked at Google and I was there um I was like literally walking through like taking my bags and then I was like walking and somebody is like hey you need to come with me and I was like what the fuck like nobody told me about this nobody prepared me and then they were they checked through my bags and everything they asked me questions and they're like what are you doing here and I'm like working I have a letter this is my contact this is my reference and I was like how do you know this person I'm like through work and they're like when did you meet and I'm like through work like online and it's like have you met in person no and he's like so you're coming here to work with somebody that you've never met and I'm like yeah I work for an international company this is what happened 
and then they just messed up my entire suitcase. Um, I had a I had a Tanzanian passport. I was an Australian permanent residence, like you know. And on the paper, when I went there, they had to make me write what Middle Eastern countries I've been to. So at the time, I'd been to Iraq, Syria, like, but not at the time. This was like ten years before or something. But they had to write. I had to write all of those down. And then they were like, "Oh, why did you go to Iraq, Iran?" And I was like, "Religious family." And they're like, how, okay. "How long? How long did the interrogation last for?" About twenty, thirty minutes. Actually, less, maybe, maybe twenty minutes. Um, mm. But this was like back in two thousand and sixteen, so there was no war or anything. Mm. Um, yeah. But it's probably changed now as well because, you know. They're probably spending a lot more time on it. Yeah. So what I what I heard or what I was expecting was that it's a, it was going to take much longer now because of the war. But I do think that the my attitude with the woman. Well, I think it also helped that she was a woman because my attitude with her was very friendly, and I told her, "Look, I am here just to actually look at what's happening." I am not against Israel. I am. I condemned Hamas. I think what happened, like just a few weeks ago, is like horrible. And I actually stand completely against it. I was very like open to her because you see, Israel, as I understood, like walking around the city, going around, meeting people at every cafe that we were in, they would tell me, "Oh, by the way, there was a terrorist attack over there. A Jew was stabbed here." And like the whole country, did you know that every week in Israel, a Jew gets stabbed by no an Arab. Israeli, like Israeli Arabs? No, not Israeli Arabs. By uh, people from the West Bank, and the ones who identify as uh, Arab Israelis are different from the ones who identify as Palestinians. The ones who identify as Palestinians are more anti-Israel. The Arab and um, the Arab Muslims in I met tens of arab muslims in in um in israel and they were like the most patriotic nationalistic israelis i've ever met many of the uh, arab muslim women in israel tell me like they told me we have human rights here like in palestine in saudi arabia and yemen we wouldn't have any human rights they're very like i that is also something that i did not expect to see that the arab muslim community the muslim community not like arab atheists and christians the muslim community in israel that i have met the people the muslims there are incredibly pro israel there's even a political party in israel that is islamist but pro uh, pro israel they they recognize that or they say that Israel grants us our religious freedom, and we want it to to uh, we want it to be that way. Just like the Orthodox Jews get their, um, it's just like the Orthodox Jews get their rights and they have their religious freedom. We also want to have our Islamic uh, religious freedom. I was just gonna ask: Are they an Islamist party or like an Islamic party? Because like Islamist is like political Islam, like as you would imagine everywhere in Europe. Yeah, Islamic. I would say Islamic, not Islamist. Okay. So because they don't want to, if anything, the the the, um, the the religious side. What most Israelis, I would say, from my understanding, are critical towards are the Orthodox Jews, because the Orthodox, mm-hmm. the ultra Orthodox Jews, they don't work. They don't. Um, they don't contribute to the to the economy, but they take money from the work and they spend their time studying the Talmud. And they have grown immensely. Like they keep having multiple. Like whenever, whenever I heard like people talk about the ultra orthodox Jews, it felt like Europeans talking about the Muslims. But it, Muslims actually work in Europe. The ultra orthodox Jews don't work. They 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 um, they spend their lifetime or most of their time reading the Talmud and studying Judaism, and they have a lot of children. Like a hu- and they keep on growing and becoming more and more, and that's what the seculars are mostly upset about. Allowing people to live in welfare is never a good idea. <laughs> I had a question about the ultra-Orthodox Jews. Am I correct from your analysis? I don't know if you actually met them or spoke to them or heard of them. Okay. 
Am I correct in thinking that they're quite isolated from the larger Israeli group? Like the women and the girls don't study as much, don't go out, because we have those populations. I'm not sure in Sweden, but in the UK and in New York, the Hasidic community is quite segregated from the rest of the, I guess, um, world, and they don't even speak English. They only speak... Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, they only speak like, and this is in New York and London, they only speak like, especially the women. Um, I don't know what the Hasidic language is, but maybe it is Hasidic um, and Hebrew. So is that correct mm. in Israel as well? Like they're very like, this is our bubble and this is where we're going to stay. They don't even go, they're not even enlisted for the IDF as well. Yes, that is also one of the um, criticism towards the ultra-Orthodox Jews is that they don't, Uh, they're not enlisted in the IDF. And that is like the main thing that the, 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 the Israelis are upset about, is that you have to be treated equally uh, as the rest of the citizens. And there is a stifling of women's rights. Um, but I, I, the, the difference that I found is that the, with the ultra-Orthodox Jews, the women do not get physically abused and they do not get... Um, Uh, killed you know they don't have that kind of honor culture if it exists it's like it, it's like tiny tiny it tiny, does tiny. Exist. Yeah. yeah it's a tiny tiny minority it's like it's not a it's not a major thing what does exist is excommunication so like if you decide to leave if you don't want to be a part of the community you're you're uh, kicked out of the community but there is not like a major violent um that that's from my for my understanding i i could have been misinformed but um so 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 there's that there's also another thing about i actually met also feminist ultra orthodox women who mm -hmm. so 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 in, in ultra orthodox circles women are not allowed to study or preach these feminist ultra orthodox jews are breaking that they're opening for like uh, so they're like female rabbis and they preach Ju uh, um, judaism and they teach judaism and they're they all wear wigs by the way because they're not allowed to show their their hair in the religion and so so, so there is that kind of like openness but so so sorry there is that to my ears it sounds like feminist salafis yeah. <laughs> so there is that but but the, the beautiful thing like the most astonishing thing or what i found beautiful is that in Jer jerusalem is like saudi arabia is <laughs> not really but like it's everybody there wears the kippah like everybody's religious it it, it feels religious there's like a, son, a strong sense of religiosity there you travel 40 minutes to Tel Aviv and you're in San Francisco. Okay. So if you are as a, if you're a religious Jew, you can, and you're done with it, you can just leave Jerusalem and travel to Tel Aviv and start a new life. Or, and there's also the vice versa. If you're in from Tel Aviv and you want to become a religious Jew, you can travel to, to, to Jerusalem and there are no hard feelings. Like I, I've, I mean, there is hard feelings, but it's not like, um, murder there's no like high persecution like you can come from either part and there's still some kind of tolerance now the ultra orthodox jews to me do give me like islamist vibes <laughs> in many ways but i felt happy that when i was talking to like some of the ultra orthodox girls like literally like 15 16 year olds i was like so like if you do you feel like your family would, would abandon you if you moved to Tel Aviv or like if you abandoned? She's like, no, like I think my family, my family is kind of open-minded. The ones who would excommunicate you, they're, they're a minority. That's what she told me. Like most Orthodox Jews don't really care if you decide to leave. That's, that's an aspect. But I, I found like my understanding of it, it felt like it was a more progressive Islam. You know, th there are the policies, there is the religiosity, but there is not that stringent and um, maddening uh, oppression that we found in, in, in that we find in most Islamic communities. But, but how about uh, the the Arabs? Are um, because people speak about like discrimination against Arab Israelis. Is there how much of? Uh, Is there some substance to this or not really, or how does it play out? So that's one of the questions that I also was there trying to find out. And I kid you not, I, I have talked to tens of Arab Israelis and they all tell me 
that they have never felt that kind of oppression and or, or, or discrimination. I wanted to talk to hijabis because one of the, the girls that I spoke to, she was like, all of my friends are hijabis and they also say the same thing. And I was like, can I meet them? She was like, yeah, we could organize something, but then it was too late. But they all say that there is no discrimination against them, that they feel like they live in a secular, open-minded country, that it is a functional um a functional uh, multiculturalism where different societies live by si- side by side. The Muslim community in Israel is thriving. They're successful. In in Jaffa, they have like the the rich Lebanese Muslims. You know, so it's like it, it's so. Um, it feels more like I usually say like multiculturalism will never succeed in Israel. It feels like it's the closest thing to succeeding. And I think it's because the Muslim communities that are in Israel have grown side by side with the Jews. You know, they've had their conflicts and their wars, but now 100 years later, they they've evolved to coexist while the multiculturalism in Sweden is enforced. That's how I uh, I see it. And she tells me, like one of, one of the Muslim girls that uh, that um, that I interviewed or talked to, she told me like many of the Muslim uh, um, many of the Muslim workers in Israel they love working with Jews because the Jews have a lot of money and they have like very successful entrepreneurs. Uh, like they're very successful entrepreneurs. Like working with Jews, you never feel discriminated against or hated or stuff like that. So I think that that to me was very, um, that's very mad. I will say, however, I failed in this trip in, in, in being able to speak to the Palestinians. Um, I wanted to go to the West Bank or Gaza, but they told me no, that it would be too dangerous right now, maybe in the future. So it doesn't give like the a holistic picture of the situation and what the Palestinians say and how they feel. But when it comes to the Arab Israelis, they are incredibly nationalistic, the ones that I have met. But, but did you manage to meet any... Uh, just ask, like, uh, following up on this Arab thing, did you mar- manage to meet, like, Arab Israelis who identify as Palestinian? No. No? The, no, I, I haven't. I met mostly, the, the I met mostly, like, Iraqi, Turkish, Bedouin, uh, mm. uh, Palestinian. No, I, I mean, of course I have. I have met, but I have engaged uh like i have asked questions and interviewed mostly the arab ones the, i have met many palestinian israelis but i never really got the chance to sit down and talk with them about these issues um sadly but hopefully uh, i mean surely i will definitely be going back to israel and i will be doing more investigative work and ask the questions that i was not able to ask but i've asked most of the questions that i have wondered about and it was so interesting. I was going to say, I think, like, from my understanding as well, if you've spoken to most people in Tel Aviv, they're quite progressive as well. Like you said, you know, the disparity between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv as well. And I think the the multiculturalism between Arab and Jews over, like, the past years has definitely grown to be a lot more tolerant and accepting as well, um, especially in Tel Aviv, um, as compared to, I felt like Jerusalem had, there was a lot of tension there. It was just, you, you could feel the environment being very different, and it wasn't just religious dressing, it was also like the groups you kept, you know, like that was, that's it, that felt a bit more segregated than multicultural. It was all mm. like people in their own groups, um, not very friendly to each other. You know, they, they would rather cross streets and avoid each other than mm-hmm. to actually like walk on the same street. And I mm-hmm. never saw any of that in Tel Aviv. Most people in Tel Aviv did not care about... They, 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 were, they were also not very well informed. And I had a very different trip from yours, which was I wasn't looking for people who are embedded in the war or know any or persecuted. So a lot of the younger people weren't very embedded in what was happening, what's going on. And I want to hear your perspective on the questions regarding settlement, because from what I heard, um, 
by an Israeli who lives in one of those illegal settlements was the Palestinians exaggerate this, like exaggerate the inhumane conditions, and it's not an illegal settlement. So they're very defensive, and they're taught to be also very defensive as well. Mm-hmm. And it's normal. I don't agree with that. Like, I don't mm-hmm. agree with their insights, because what are you going to do? Are you going to accept that you live in an illegal settlement? Mm-hmm. Um, and can you really not understand the hostility or the, not the aggression or hostility, but like the dismay that the Palestinians have about those settlements as well? Mm-hmm. So I want to know but what also, your question was. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go on. Uh, but also, there are incidents uh, where, like, some of the extremist settlers they also harass uh, Palestinians and so on or, or Arabs who who live over there to try to chase them out basically. So yeah, it's a that's an interesting question. Like what are what is the general view there on on the settlements in the West Bank and what's going on with the settlers and and the Arabs there? So I, I want to first touch upon the, the 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 there are you know obviously racist violent settlers. Um, who harass the the Palestinians who are just disgusting in every shape, way, and form. Those uh, violent settlers are condemned and hated by the vast majority of Israelis. That's one. Two, something that I found that blew my mind is my idea of of the settlements or what I heard of the settlements is that when my mother tells me about the settlements is that there are these um, Jews just kick Palestinians out of their homes and take over their 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 property illegally. That's that's what I the image that I had of a settlement. It turns out that ninety nine percent of the settlements are literally houses that are built by the Jews. They buy the land, they buy the the, the areas, and then they build a house there. And they settle there. Though that's literally what most settlements are. The settlements that 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 are controversial in cases where um, a Jew replaces a Palestinian, it almost never happens. But when it does happen, there are many controversies controversies around it. So the people who are defending this, or what what their image of this, what they say, is that when a Palestinian has a home. And the Jewish man comes to the Palestinian and tells them in in the West Bank, they tell them, we will buy your house for this much, this amount of money, like a large sum of number. The offer is too hard to resist. So what happens? The the Jew buys the house, the Palestinian takes the money and runs away, like leaves the the West Bank, leaves uh, Palestine. The reason for this being... And I, I want to know if you guys knew this. If you sell your home to a Jew, you get a death penalty in Palestine. Did you know this? No. I didn't. Yeah. No, no, I didn't. But I have views on the buying the house that I want to. So, so like, apparently, and I did not know this. If you sell your house, because, of course, you are a traitor of Al-Qadiyya, of the Palestinian cause. If you sell your home to a Jew, then you are the high, it's like the highest form of treason, and you get killed. So what happens, the Palestinians who sell their homes either sell their homes and run away, or they sell their homes, and when the Jews come to take the house, they make a huge scene, they fight, so when the Palestinians come to them and ask them, why did you sell the, your house to a Jew? They say they claim that they were kicked out illegally. Those are, this is the argument that is being made by, by, from the Israeli side. It could be true. It could be false. I, I'm not involved in the legality of the, of the issue. And uh, so, so I, and there are Probably many there are both cases. Probably there are both cases, but the, the, what I what I learned to understand as well is that Israel has a very strong legal system and legal state. So even like when they talk about the IDF soldiers killing Palestinians or killing or killing civilians, those people get persecuted and they get sentences uh, if they accidentally kill or shoot a Palestinian. But I want to hear about what you guys know and what you understand of the settlements. Uh, Sara, um, you said you said you wanted to to rebuttal what I what, 
the, uh, no, the, it wasn't what? rebuttal. I feel like there's definitely a power dynamic there, even if they buy it legally. And by legally, I mean like you have a contract where, you know, you've bought the land, so it's legally yours now. Um, but I think there exists like a power dynamic, um, very similar to the relationship with, let's say, me and my boss, for instance. They're like, you need to do this work. And technically, I could say no, but I'm compelled to say yes. And obviously the money factor builds in. And while it's all legal, I think an argument could be made that they don't have to be there. They don't, they, they don't have to be there because it does create more of an aggression between the two groups, especially knowing that this has happened before. Like those fights happen, they continue to happen. But it's also a way that the settlers start expanding it, expanding the land even more. Even if they can legally afford to do so, or like they can monetarily afford to do so, it then comes down to, okay, well, what portion is of the Palestinian state anyway? Hmm. But um, I have a question uh, about that. I have a question. So there, currently there are 2 million um, Arabs, and many of them are Palestinian Muslims, living in Israel, in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem. So why would it be problematic if a couple of thousand Jews have settlements in, in the West Bank? Well, this actually was a lead up to, to a, a question that I wanted to, to follow up with mm -hmm. to complement Zara's. Um, are the Jews who are buying homes in the West Bank, do they become subject to the Palestinian Authority, or do they become still a subject of Israel? You know what I mean? Like, what kind of rules and laws um, are um, is this new home of the Jew uh, subjected to? They 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 are under Israeli authority. Um... I think this is where it becomes a bit problematic. Like, had it been like you know, had it been uh, a Jewish person who buys a home in, 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 in Palestinian territories and becoming a subject to Palestinian, the Palestinian Authority, this would have been a bit um, less, less uh, conflict-laden than if it was um, as it is. Or what do you think about that? I agree, but the, I think the issue at hand is that the Palestinian Authority does not recognize Israelis. They don't recognize something called Israelis. You're... You're a uh, colonizer. They would never agree to it. So I think one of the mm. disheartening things about this whole issue is you have two parts, and the Israeli part, whenever it tries to, to, to negotiate peace or reach any kind of peace agreements or coexistence, Palestinians say no, because you're violent, you're oppressors, you're colonizers, period. There is no, there is no maybes. And I think that is what makes, turns the, the conflict upside down. Because th to me, that is the main reason why the peace negotiations are invalid right now. Uh, because Palestinians don't want to, to, the Israeli state to exist. Had the Palestinians been okay with the existence of Israelis in Israeli state, then they could actually come to any sort of negotiation. I, I I just wanted to add, I think those are both really valid points regarding um, how the Israelis are treated, sorry, the Arabs are treated in Israel. But it also means that not every Arab from Palestine or not everybody from the West Bank can move to Israel. I'm sure there is a verification work permit, all these processes to ensure that they are not a, a threat to the state itself. Um, but at the same time, like, I think just adding to your point on Palestinians not wanting to negotiate and also why you couldn't go to the West Bank, I was told the same thing. It's not dangerous. And I, it's dangerous, sorry. And I went anyway. And it was this ideas where Israelis were genuinely scared, but also their life is more under threat if they even go to the West Bank than when somebody from the West Bank goes to Israel. And because I was a foreigner, it was okay with, you know, me. Um, and there were a lot of, like, American tourists who came with me to the West Bank. And the narrative we got was very pro-Palestinian, but it was only when I was in Israel where I got two sides. But back to the settlements. And 
Um, I think the Palestinians not wanting the peace, I don't think it's purely just religious. I think there is a lot of historical context there as well. There's a lot of, and I think we spoke about it in our last episode, generational trauma as well. You keep feeding the future generations a narrative that, in your opinion, or in your view, is true. And in the other person's opinion, uh, sorry, in the other person's view, there's a complete different narrative. And you grow up around it. It's indoctrination. I mean, there's religion, but then there's also this occupier versus occupied, victims versus oppressors. Um, and then the idea of colonialism as well and taking away history as well. Um, and I feel like sometimes the both sides, sides have valid grievances. It's really hard to compensate um, for a more justified rational outcome for this. Um, because, and I heard this on a podcast as well, because when a, let's say a child dies or a family dies, be it an Israeli family or a Palestinian family, you as a family member, you're only seeing that, you know, I have lost this family. It doesn't matter who did it. I mean, yes, there's more anger if somebody does it, but the way you see that loss is very personal to you. And that builds up over time. The anger comes in and it goes on. I am not vouching or validating Hamas, but... I do think that that not wanting peace, there are many different factors, and this is also one where this consistent ideas of like, I've been oppressed, my family was killed, my land was stolen, and then that goes on to be, and then with the settlements coming in, um, that is further exacerbated, because now you're like, okay, look, killed my family or they killed my cousins and now they're in their house or you know in another house and they're keeping on growing even if the land was legally sold um should should they have further um i guess restrictions like should the israelis then have further restrictions on lands you cannot buy and this i know israel doesn't have a constitution but should this then come from the israeli side as well in the process of like peace negotiations, potentially, in the future. Which brings me to the next point. What do most Israelis think of what's happening right now in terms of do they support Netanyahu and his cabin? Or are they quite against... And, and, and this is not the TikTok generation as well. This is also the older Israelis that you spoke to as well, Arabs or not. Yeah, I I haven't come across many right wingsters. The right wingsters like uh, Netanyahu, of course, but the vast majority of Israelis, shockingly, really don't like him. And when I ask this, uh, like, how come you guys don't like Netanyahu? They say, well, it's actually a national sport to hate our prime minister in in in, in Israel. Like, no matter who it is, we'll always be critical and against them because it is a very touchy subject, like politics. Um. I think what you were saying was very true about that's one of the questions that I kept bringing up from a critical point of view towards Israel is that for, you know, when you kill accidentally kill children and and family members in the in the pursuit of killing Hamas, you are also creating more resentment and hatred and terrorism on the other side. How is that going to combat terrorism and the, the and just be, be, before you uh, before mm. you continue the um, speaking of this there was an incident in Janine mm. uh, a few days ago where it was reported that two boys one of them is eight or something were sh- were shot mm. uh, ha- have you heard also about this or like because it seems a bit bizarre like how um was it was it do you know has this been talked about or i think it happened when i left so i haven't really gotten so much into it but like every time something like that happens there's always an explanation that is left out 
like I, I have asked IDF soldiers about such things and they tell me like we like many of us who work with the IDF are Muslim are Arabs like we make a huge part of the IDF do you think that we're inhuman that we kill people just irrationally and without you know indiscriminately like that is the most insane accusation that we ever get and they they try the IDF get like a lot of insane training like most Israelis um go through uh, uh what do you call it um, military training and they're ready for combat but the, the the answer that I get is do you think that Gazans and Palestinians <coughs> can can become more radicalized than they already are like when the October when October 7th happened um women were raped and 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 dragged into Gaza and when they arrive in Gaza Gazans would cheer and start spitting on on, on the bodies and and celebrate the, the hostages like by tens of thousands it's like there's already a, a, a severe incredible radicalization and the the Israeli response right now is how are they even going to get become even more radicalized? They like they don't want us to exist. Can it get yeah, more so radicalized? Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, like uh, when people sometimes say, "Well, there's on the seventh of October, there's a lot of people who got out of Gaza, and some of the acts look and as if this is like a defense of Hamas. Some of the acts were perpetrated by just like ordinary Gazans." And I was like, this doesn't make the image any, this makes it worse. <laughs> if you're saying that actually there's like ordinary people who went out and did all this horrible stuff. But but I do think, yes, there is there there are situations where you can become more radicalized. I do I do think that there's a difference between wanting somebody killed and then actually killing them, even though even though that's both immoral. But at the same time, then would their response on the can Gazans become more radicalized? Would their response then be just eliminating all the Gazans because they spit on the body? I mean, mm. I don't know if there is a saving here. I, I don't know. I legitimately don't know if you can save those people who did spit on it to bring them to a more middle ground after what has happened. And I don't know if Israelis, I know you post this on your Instagram and Twitter as well. I don't know if Israelis can actually then trust them as well. Right. Uh, but then... the, the, yeah, the, the trust, trust, like, so the, the most, the, the thing that made me like understand the, the Israeli trauma right now is that Many of the villages around Gaza are some of the most pro-Palestine. Well, not really pro-Palestine, but the most trusting of Palestine. They're the most left. It's like Venster Partiet, the leftist political party in Sweden. They all live around Gaza. They're all super communist, super socialist. They they have recruited more Gazans to work in their villages than any other area in, in Israel. They were the ones who hated the, the right wing, the hate of the occupation. They were the ones that um, were most loving of Arabs and, and Palestinians. So when that, when October 7th happened, it was kind of like Israelis look at how, wow, even those of us who trusted you most, who loved you most, who wanted us to change our policies the most, you slaughtered all of them. It's like it, it this illusion, the community in a way that I can't describe. It's kind of like we already know that you didn't like us, but now you're literally slaughtering the ones of us who loved you the most. And I, I've heard a story um, about the, 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 that I put up on Twitter of this woman who was telling us that there was a guy named Khalil who lived, this Khalil guy has been, from Gaza, has been a part of the uh, commu the Israeli community for 30 years, ate their food, been a part of them. He worked with them. He was one of the, he was one of them. He was their brother. 
And he was one of the people who gave intel and leaked their information to Hazza to, to Gaza. He they told me that they found the, the map that he drew of the villages. And he even in this map, he even would write, This house has four people, two daughters, a dog. Like even the dogs or lack thereof was mentioned in, in the map. And this story, like the Khalil story, is not just one story, it's hundreds. Of stories yeah. like many 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 people that, that from Gaza that, that the Israelis trusted were only infiltrating Gaza, uh, Israel just to support Hamas and to plan this massacre and this makes one of the woman who was telling me the story was looking at me and she was like she literally said I don't trust Arabs I know that you're an Arab and I know, yeah, you look fine, but I don't know. I don't know. You can't tell me that I can trust you. Like, look at what happened to us. Even the people who we let in our house, Khalil slept in our homes and he ended up doing, how can I trust people like that? I can't trust people anymore. And, and that was like the most, the, the most pro-Palestinian Israelis, you know? So you can only imagine the, no, the non-pro-Palestinian uh, Israelis, how they felt when they saw the massacre. That people are constantly saying, "I used to believe in peace, but I don't believe in peace anymore." And, and it's also like, what's the bombing of Gaza right now? It's like, are you cannot ever like <laughs> criticize it because it would kind of be like, no, let let them massacre us, let let them like commit genocide towards us. We're not going to do anything about it. It's, it's, it's like that is the consensus right now, that we have to do something about Hamas. We have to bring back the hostages. And uh, it, it's, yeah, it's more depressing than I thought that it was. Did you, did you manage to, like, test the opinion when it comes to if they believe in a two-state solution or, or if... if or if they believe really, or or if they don't, what do they envision as a solution then? Um, so the, where do the they right, see the future? The right-wingsters want a one-state solution. They believe it's a Jewish state and the Palestinians should respect that. Um, but the majority of the people I've spoken to actually, funnily, I expect, because the one, many people say, I don't believe in peace anymore. Even the ones who say they don't believe in peace anymore, they say... I do believe in a two-state solution, but I don't think it's possible right now. They all voice a, a kind of um, a hope for it actually becoming happening. Uh, most of the Israelis I've met are not against Palestine as a state, like in, in Israel. But they're also very aware that the main issue is that the Palestinians don't want it. They're like, we want it. They don't want it. How are, you know, you can't make it to a relationship happen if one side does not want to be in a relationship. It's like, what are you going to force the other person to be in a relationship with you? That's kind of like psychotic. And I feel like they're just sat there like, how are we going to solve this? Because this is clearly not working. I mean, I can maybe think, I, I was just basing this on your, you know, your comment on trust and what the people have said. I guess you don't need individuals' trust to still create that division between the two states. And at some point, yes, politicians and people who maintain those two states need trust. But if we, and, and, and I don't know how effective this would be, but if we kept that clear distance between like, this is your borders, this is our borders, we don't want anything. We're not going to control the electricity, the whatnot. You decide it on your own and that's it, right? And I feel like maybe that's what they're referring to when they said, yes, we we don't want to hurt more Palestinians or hurt Palestinians or, you know, we don't really care about them having a state. We just don't want to be, we just don't want to lose our families as well, mm. um, which which I kind of, I, I wrote this down, but I think we moved from the topic in terms of the IDF training. So a lot of Israelis have gone to like thorough IDF trainings and the question that they asked about like, do you think that we would kill people without a reason and that there's always an explanation? I want to say yes, because they're talking about IDF as a whole group. But as we all know that we always have groups that have dissenters as well. 
where mm. they could have like somebody throwing them a stone you know aggravating them they could kill them mm. at the same time there are palestinians that will kill the idea for not even provoking them i think that does exist but then i think what we see outside of it is it continues to play into that mindset again of like oppressed and oppressor so if the oppressor even does self defense oh my god fuck this shit like you know they're horrible they're the worst they're like the people that they hated i.e. the nazis but then if the oppressed does it it's self, it's um it's what, not not self defense but it's um it's protesting mm-hmm. and we start using different terms for it and i think what we see now right now is sadly the generation of tiktokers and influencers that complete continue to like follow that narrative and have no historical context do not understand the relationships between jews and arabs before israel and palestine as well and chime into this popular narrative where they start fraternizing with osama bin laden's letter and then people mm. use terms like you know occupation genocide colonialism and i think it's, i have the i have i have an issue with the world colonialism because it falls into that narrative that jews are all white people it's a white people being colonized nobody talks about the mizrahi jews as well who had to move as a result of the persecution in the middle east itself the, the one of the largest groups of of jews in israel are jews were were kicked out of the middle east i wanted to kind of ask you about um zionism so when you first got to israel and we had spoken about um i think we were just sending voice notes and you went like I don't know what Zionism is. I don't know if the Zionists are good. But, you know, you didn't have a formed opinion. You weren't hateful, but you didn't have a formed opinion. Mm. And I want you to explain your introduction to Zionism and the the polar not polarity but like the scale of the views in Zionism like the extreme Zionists as well who do believe in killing I'm sure they exist. Mm. And the reason I say I'm sure they exist because I also look at it as like Islamism. There are Islamists that don't believe in killing. There are some that do believe in killing and will execute it. So tell mm-hmm. us more about you and your introduction to Zionism. I went to a lecture by um, this organization called Friends of Zion. And we sat down and he went throughout the history of Zion, who who Zion was and what Zionism is and why there are Jews who are against Zionism and Long story short, Zionism is the belief in an Israeli state, like an Israeli state for Jews. Now, in in, in Judaism, uh, there are teachers... and just like uh, just to, to to pinpoint something, mm-hmm. this actually it's it's a bit uh, it's a bit counterintuitive, but Zionism as a movement. Actually, when it started, it was a non-religious movement. It was more of a nationalist movement. This is something that a lot of people also they don't really pay attention to. They think it's Zionism is like uh, it's the ultra-religious movement that uh, want a land promised by God for the Jews. Yeah. No, sorry. Continue, right? No, you're you're absolutely correct because like um, Zionism is co- kind of like it's more like a movement that a nationalist movement that developed as a reaction to the 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 as a reaction to um to to persecution in the world. So I actually asked the lecturer. I told him, "So wait, I have two questions actually. The first question is, doesn't the Torah and the the the, the Judaism preach against the creation of a Jewish state, that there should not be a Jewish state? He was like, that's a very good question. And the answer is, after we, the Jews, have been persecuted in every single corner in the world, after the Russians, the Soviets started massacring us in in Ukraine, that's when the consensus started changing. When the Holocaust happened, that was the 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 flip that happened as well. Is that they? It's like he was like. There's been like a, a, a um, 
debates within the Jewish community for a very long time, whether they should have a, a Jewish state or not. And when the state started getting created, the, 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 the opinion, the opinion of the Jewish community started changing is no, actually, you know what? We need a safe haven. We need somewhere where we can go without fearing the Holocaust, without fearing persecution for our identity because of our religion or our, our ethnicity. So Zionism in its essence is the nationalist belief that the, the the, the 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 belief in the right of the Jewish people to have a state to have a country, and where it's located, it's not relevant. It could have been located in the U.S. It could have been located anywhere. Now, why it became Israel is for two reasons. The first reason is because religiously, they believe. That, I mean, they don't believe it is a fact that Jesus comes from. Bethlehem, like he is from there. The Jews used to live and occupy uh, that that land. Well, it's it's the place where where Jews as an ethnic group was formed to begin yeah. with. The Jews actually are mm, descendants of Canaanites as a group, uh, so they kind of split off from the Canaanites. But yeah, the the Assyrians, the Byzantines, the they have been persecuted basically by every, uh, even the Egyptians, uh, every big uh, empire or, or state at the time. Exactly. You know your history. So the, the, there is a, a museum a museum in Jerusalem called the Tower of David Museum. It is the most beautiful museum I have ever been to in my entire life. And you guys have got to go there because it goes through the history of, of Judaism and the Jews and the land of Israel. So the, the, the Jews did not, for a very long time, they did not believe that they should have a land. But after centuries of persecution, after the Holocaust, after being, um, after, because, you know, the word anti-Semitism was created in order to find a reason to put something onto the persecution of the Jews. And the, 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 the 18th century and the 19th century showed or proved to the Jews that they need a safe haven. So Zionism, in its essence, is the belief, that a, a nationalist belief even, that the, the Jews should have a country of their own. And by that definition, ladies and gentlemen, I am a Zionist. <laughs> and my mom, it's funny because my mom tells me, it's fine. You know, you can support the Jews. You can defend their right to not get hated, to not get persecuted. But it's the Zionists that we hate. <laughs> and I'm like, well, mom, Zionists just believe that the Jews should have a country just like every, you know, Muslim nation has a country. I mean, a country. We Muslims have 57 countries. And so, yeah, I, I think like there should be more coexistence. Like if... Palestinians were gays and they understood that persecution is not a good thing and they understood that coexistence is a good thing, they would have welcomed back the, 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 the Israelis with open hearts. There's this fake narrative on TikTok that is constantly repeated that the, the Palestinians want, you know, were okay with the Jews and they loved them and then they started welcoming them back from the holocaust and protecting them and suddenly they started taking over and they started killing them which is the biggest giant of rubbish that exists the palestinians have been persecuting and killing jews for the longest time there are so many battlefields before the creation of the state of israel where the palestinians have been you know persecuting and killing and many yeah there were pogroms and like yeah they were they're well documented mm. yeah but that's not what TikTok thinks. TikTok thinks is that there's there's always been peace until the Zionists arrived. Yeah, it's like this is this this whole thing with like um, the anti-Israeli um, propaganda. They have a very very selective um, focus on history. They kind of like pick certain years or decades. Okay, they they want to talk about like everything from just 1948 <laughs> as if like 
this is where the world began. Yeah. And, and yeah. anything before I, doesn't, doesn't matter. I, I had apparently a lot of friends from childhood who'd never discuss about Islam, feminism, but somehow now Israel is the hot topic. And they're like, you need to go to the start. And I'm like, what start are we talking about? And they're like, yeah, exactly. 1948, the Nakba. And I'm like, that's not the start. <laughs> if you want to talk about the start, let's talk about early centuries. Let's talk about before, like, you know, before Christ as well. Um, but again, I, I, I think it's also this um, this generation, and by that I don't mean Generation Z, but like the generation that gets their information from TikTok that have now also, and, and you can draw parallels between a lot of social justice movement as well, like the BLM, you know, how they were like rioting is protesting, you know, white people need to feel guilty because it all falls into that narrative of um critical race theory as well and I won't get into it but it does fall into the narrative that starts to pull people to have polarized view instead of nuanced views as well and I think a lot of people I feel like they look at selective information and draw conclusions from it because they don't want to be on the wrong side a lot of friends that I know who would naturally speak out about the war or you know, injustices, be it Palestine or Israel, um, have been silent because of the backlash. A lot of people who want to truly support the liberation for Palestinians are silent because they don't agree with how the far left have taken the pro-Palestinian movement and turned it into something that has created more vigilante mobs, that has apologized for Hamas, or like, not apologized for Hamas, but that excused Hamas's um, actions as well and I think in general like and we're already seeing this we are going to have a rise everywhere into conversion into Islam it happened at 9-11 during 9-11 there's a rise of like white converts you know moving to Islam it's going to happen this time as well and what really worries me and I think we covered this in the last one is it's been over like what five weeks since we did the last podcast so it was when it was early times in the war is that a lot of jews outside israel are feeling incredibly threatened incredibly unsafe and actually muslims as well so there are islamophobic attacks that have increased as well as like anti-semitism different scales as well but i think a lot of this comes from having like very polarized views into this where they feel like the way Israel can get justice or Palestinians can be liberated is if we attack and make all of those Jews and all of those Muslims submit to um, giving, you know, this group the rights or that group the rights or sympathies rather. You know, like everything that has been going on recently uh, with all the tensions and so on, it's like, it's radicalizing me. It's, it's kind of like turning me into an ethno-nationalist. I'm like, okay, guys, we can't get along. Everyone stay in their own fucking country where they like the culture, where they like that, where they have the same religion, the same traditions and norms and values. Just like enough with this headache. I, I agree. It's so hard. It's so hard to actually want to like, you know, go like, guys, maybe you shouldn't fight. And especially this idea where, you know, um, People talk about, you know, you can't you can't be friends with people you don't agree with. That's such mm -hmm. a mob-like American Trump idea as well, right? Like when there were elections, they were like, all the, I don't want to be friends with all the Reds, the Republicans. And mm -hmm. it's just continuing to go. And I'm like, can you imagine if like we had, as ex-Muslims, we had that idea where we're like, we don't want to be friends with any Muslims, we don't want to be friends with any religious people, and we didn't mm -hmm. act, and we started being as, I want to say, um, yeah, I want to say as vigilante or like as extreme as the Islamists are towards us. Mm. We would never have this understanding of like, where's the tolerance coming from? But you're right about being radicalized as well. It's it's like I have to actively stop looking at some people's stories. I just click next because mm -hmm. there's so much misinformation as well. And there's so much like um, sympathy that is going to Palestinians, which it should, like they are getting killed. But then in a way that the sympathy comes from or the messaging comes from being very anti-Jew 
And they talk yeah. about, oh, it's not anti-Jew, Hamas, the worst, the worst, sorry, I got sidetracked. The worst is when you point out the Hamas founding charter in 1998 or 89 or something. Mm. Um, and people are like, oh, they have one that was written in 2017. And I'm like, are you crazy? You're telling me right now that you think Nazis can change. Like their, their Nazi idea can change. And that you'd still believe that, oh, no, they're not, they're not racist at all. They've changed. <laughs> what? As a group, their found foundations have changed. It's not based on X, Y, Z. It's based on this. And the worst part is white people who think they know more about our lived experiences. And they're like, no, you're wrong. No, gays are not persecuted in the Middle East. It happens everywhere. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you know more about something that I've lived through, that I've gone through, that I know the sentiments are that the community that I've been raised in, but you know more about how people like us have been raised. <laughs>